I have this picture and I'm in my mind, and I'm recounting it as being from that very, very well done and yet horrific opening scene in Saving Private Ryan where they're storming the beaches of Normandy. And um, I have this picture in my mind of the, of the people at the top of the cliffs with these big machine guns. And there's these guys storming the beaches. Boom, 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 boom. Well, as we come to our text today, the number of verses that are laid out there, they remind me of that kind of thing, of a, of a fully automatic weapon that is going off. However, I don't see them as being quite that deep in their sound as what I have in this soundtrack. I'd see it more like from the 9 mil fully automatic weapon I shot. That's more like a rat-tat-tat-tat-tat-tat-tat. But here's the point. You can hear every round go off. Unlike some other fully automatic weapons that just go... And they do. Or it's amazing to see them. But that boom, 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 rat-tat-tat-tat-tat. And that des- describes for me what I think we have as we come to the end of the book of Thessalonians. And what I'm hoping, as we pass by all of these different rounds that are rat-tat-tatting by, I'm hoping one of them will strike each of us. All right? That, that we'll each be struck by something to think about to pray about, to consider, well, Lord, what are you speaking to me about this particular one that just uh, came firing from your word here today? So that's why I've called this kind of a weird title, Rat-a-tat-tat, all right, that uh, it's going to come kind of fast firing at us. Chapters 1 to 3 of, of the book of Thessalonians recount for us a very close relationship that Paul has with these people. You get, a, you get a sense of it. Let me just read a couple of verses. These won't come up on the screen, but just listen. We, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. They're wanting to see him again. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. And so there's this close, warm relationship that is evident in these books as Paul is expressing his desire to come, but they're writing because they weren't able to make it. And uh, so they're, they're filling in some spaces here at this time. That's three chapters of that kind of writing. We come to chapters 4 and 5. I think we could just generally say two things are happening here. There are exhortations to holy living, and there are explanations bringing clarity about those who had died. Because as in their day, people were dying, and they wanted clarity about, well, what happens to brothers and sisters who have died relative to the coming of Christ and all of that. And out of that, probably some of the most well-known material that we have about what we would call the rapture that comes from these books as Paul is wrestling with that and bringing clarity to that. Now, as we come to the passage we're going to look at today, this rat-a-tat passage, uh, it's interesting how the, uh, the people who translate the Bibles and put them together for us, this section, verses 12 to 22, it actually starts, uh, yeah, it starts here. We won't cover all of that. But it says, uh, various exhortations. There's just stuff coming at us. And that's why I say it sounds, as I read it, I feel like we're listening to the rat-a-tat-tat of a machine gun. 
And I want to, we're not going to pick it up right in verse 12. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. See if you get a feel for this. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the fainthearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Do you hear it? Rat-a-tat-tat-tat-tat-tat. These bullets coming at us. Now these statements, they're intended to explain to the Thessalonians how the redemption that we have in Christ should impact our thinking and thus our living. There's a point for them. He's saying this is what this new life we have in Christ is about. You know, last week we... We looked at Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 is where we kind of focused our thinking. And, and Paul cautioned, he said, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deception, after the traditions of men, after the basic principles of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead body, and you are complete in him, who is above all principalities and power. So that's who you are. We saw that last week. This is who you are. Don't let anyone take who you are away from you. Because you are in Christ. Well, here he says, in light of the fact that this is who we are, this is what God has done on our behalf. He says, now, here's how our thinking ought to be transformed. And with it, our behavior undergoes a transformation also. I think in terms of our thinking reminds us of Romans 12, 1 through 3, about letting our minds be transformed. But I also think in terms of Romans 14, 17, where Paul said, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not, it's not in these rules and regulations, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I believe the things that he is shooting out to us here today, as we're reading it about it in Second Thess- in First Thessalonians, it's like these live in this place. Let these things impact your experience. Let them be an expression in your life, and you will be living in that righteousness and peace and joy. It will be yours. This is the life to which we are called. So, if that is is with us for an introduction, if you can understand where I'm going with that, I would just like for us to consider three things as we see how um, we we can kind of group some of of this machine gun fire together. And I appreciate the particular translation that I have here. It um, it grouped them in paragraphs for us. All right? The old King James, at least what I had with it, it let everything, you see it all individually. But here it's grouped the thinking into paragraphs. So what I'd like to do is look at verses just, we're going to look at verse 14 and 15, and here's an overriding statement. Redemptive thinking, right? We're living out this life we have in Christ. Redemptive thinking should impact our relationships. Now watch him fire a few things off. We exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves 
and for all. Now, I'm not going to have time to be able to break each one of those down, but I would like to focus on what is our scripture for today. Verse 15. See that no one renders evil for evil. The word render, literally, you break it down into its parts, it is to give back. Nobody give back. We can get what's going on there, right? And particularly in that, it's easy to understand there. Okay? Stovey does something to me which I don't like. I consider it offensive. I consider it evil. Which he does all the time, by the way. You guys all think he's a nice guy. Not so. He's always giving me trouble. Okay? But my living this out, I do not render, I do not give back the evil that he gives to me. I'm kidding, in case some of you are wondering, did he really say that about one of our deacons? No, he's a dear and precious friend, okay? But you get the point. You get the point. If somebody does something to us, something happens where we are offended, it's an evil that we have received, and it's real because it does happen because we honestly and unfortunately do treat one another this way. And Paul's pretty simple with that rat-tat-tat-tat-tat. Don't render evil for evil. Don't give back. Somebody treats you in a way which is inappropriate, don't come right back at them with a boom, boom, I'll get you for that. Instead, he says, pursue what is good, both for, your, you, both for yourselves and for all. Somebody treats you in an evil way, your response is to be something which is good. What, for you, for all, I, what I see is this. He says, go for the win-win. Yes, we are at times treated wrong by other people. But rather than living in that place where, I'll get you. I will get you. And I can, I, I've known people, this is how they live. They live carrying this around. You get me, I'm going to get you. I will get you. My sister was married to one. So I have very specific people in mind. I will get you back. And Paul says that's that's not the living of the kingdom, right? In righteousness and peace and joy. About I'm going to get you back because you got me. It's like, no, you know what? I'm going to respond in a different way. Let's go for a win-win. Let's respond in such a way that something beneficial will come for you and something beneficial will come for me. Because if we don't, what happens? If we don't do this, what happens? We just crank it up and crank it up and crank it up and things fall apart and fall apart and fall apart and we wonder why there's broken relationships at work, broken relationships in our home, broken relationships with our neighbors, with our extended family because we went with uh, hey, you said something I didn't like, well I will show you. He's like, that's not how we live in this new kingdom, this new kingdom life. That's what the, God, the, the, the kingdom of God is about, righteousness and peace and joy. So I understand in saying that, that it doesn't appeal to our natural inclinations. Because if you get me, I want to get you back. I don't want to take that moment to think through what my words are. I want to respond from the hip. And let you know I didn't like it. It make you hurt as much or more than I did so you don't hurt me again. I get it. That's how I'm wired naturally. As well as you. So how do we find instruction to say, you know, I, I, we're going to do it different. Because we live different. Because we are different. Because we're in Christ. And we're living out the kingdom. 
Well, let's just go to one other scripture, and it won't show up here, but you'll get it quickly. Ephesians 4.32 puts it for us very simply. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Oh, yeah. See, that's where it's sourced, right? Because we live in this place, right? For you are complete in Him. That's what we talked about last week. This is who you are in Christ. This is what is yours in Christ. And as we are in Christ, we are living in this place where we have had kindness, grace, forgiveness poured out upon us, flooding over us. it, It surrounds us. It's in us. It is there. It is the expression of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We are continually living in this place. And God says, hey, you know all that stuff you got in Christ that you think is so wonderful that, that wow, God forgave me and all. He said, hey, here's an idea. Let some of that flow out to others and even to others who have maybe offended you, have maybe hurt you, have maybe wounded you. Just as it came to you and is overwhelming in its volume and its significance, let it go out to others because we live differently because we're living the kingdom life. We're not living in the darkness of the world because that's, that's how the world would live. I just came across a, 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 an article just this morning and I thought I'd bring it in if I don't want to be searching for it in front of you on my phone. But here's what the guy said. How many of you are watching Jeopardy at all or aware of what's happening with Jeopardy? Okay, anyone? Few. Few of you are. Okay, so there was a guy there. Thanks, Jill. Jill Jill was willing to admit it. She didn't know whether or not, you know, the rest of you are thinking, well, is he going to put me in a bad position if I admit that I watch Jeopardy? Okay. So there was a guy years ago by the name of Ken Jennings who set like a huge record of like 64, 70-some wins. I don't know what it is. But they got a new guy on who this guy's phenomenal to watch. And the fact that it's making news articles tells you, okay, there's something good happening here. So reading this article that came across this morning, because we do watch it, and we do see, well, did he win again? You know, because it just, it just you watch this guy, it's just amazing. But the guy who writes the article is almost celebrating the fact that now on Twitter these two have begun to dialogue with each other. Right now it's kind of in fun. And they're kind of self-congratulatory. He's, but he effectively was saying, we're, we're kind of hoping that it becomes a real head-to-head thing, kind of like uh, a Nicki Minaj, Cardi B thing, who I think I'd recognize their pictures. I don't follow their music, all right? But he was like, yeah, that all got started because of social media. woo we want to see another head-butting like that with each other. And he's almost celebrating that that would stir up, you know, we have something to talk about because of that. That's the, that's the world, man. That's a dark kingdom that wants to celebrate people taking each other out and going head to head like that. That's not where we live. We live in a place of righteousness, peace, and joy. And, and who needs to be dwelling on that? Who wants to be absorbing that kind of garbage into their life? Okay. So, hey, the world says, I'll get you back. As believers, we look for the win-win. We go, wait a second. I can be gentle. 
I can be forgiving. I can be kind because Christ has filled me with that. All right, that's one. Redemptive thinking should impact our relationships. Second thought. Redemptive thinking should inform our responses. It should inform our responses, and by this I mean our responses to life around us. Now, life at times is hard. I don't think, it, I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's easy, as we have prayed for Tim and Ginny, to wait for those results. What does this mean? That we now have taken this growth out, and now we've got to wait to see, what, to see what they say. That's not an easy wait. All right, talking to Mike Bauman after the service last week. It's not an easy wait that they are in right now to understand what's, what are they going to learn about Madeline and what the last, you know, the last um, tests have shown. And is there something that's there that they're seeing that they could be back to all of this? It's not easy. Joy and Randy, every day, every day, every day. If you have not seen them and know what goes on in that home, you know that every day is hard. And there's no two ways around it. No two ways. And they're, they're trusting the Lord in it, but it is hard. It's not, it's not easy to, as Tim and Tanya are caring for her dad, and, and uh, 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 he's in hospice, I believe. And just We watch these things, right? We have all seen them. And there's, there's a dozen other things represented right here. And then you expand that out around what's going on around the world. Life is not easy. It's not a cakewalk everywhere that we go. And yet, redemptive thinking in, should inform our responses to life, to the circumstances around us. And so he says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And honestly, can we, can we, can we, do we love one another enough that we can be honest with one another? Sometimes to receive those rat-a-tat bullets is hard. Lord, what are you, what are you telling me here? To rejoice always. Always? Always. Well, how do I do that? How can I possibly do that? You see, I think, at least for my own thinking and what has been helpful for me, is we need to understand that we don't go wandering around like some almost ridiculous, disconnected person from reality, just always, everything is always happening, everything is always good. Recall there was one show, i only seen a couple episodes, I didn't care for it, so I didn't watch it, uh, but they had one character in there who was always happy. He was always happy, and everything was always good. And I felt like they were really mocking. I felt like they were honestly mocking people of faith, is what it sounded like to me with this guy. And that he could always be so happy and so good and everything always good because people just aren't that way. Have you noticed Burger King? Now they've taken some, they've taken some slack for this, but this past week they introduced something that are basically not Happy Meals to conflict with McDonald's. McDonald's has Happy Meals and they have these, this new line of meals and I don't know how long it'll last, but they're like people aren't happy all the time. 
So they're going to let you order meals that really express your discontent and your anger. Okay? And that's what you're going to order because nobody's happy all the time. And this yet says, rejoice always. Now, how can we do that? Because realistically, our circumstances don't generate joy with us all the time. I would just like to throw out one thing. Something for you to think about. Luke chapter 10, verse 18, as Jesus has been working with his disciples and sending them out in ministry. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven as they had done their ministry. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You got these great circumstances that are yours, right? Look at, just look, man, you can really take it to the evil one. So you'd think, man, that's, that's a place where we can get really excited. We can really be happy. We can really rejoice because we're going to take it to the evil one. And, but notice what he says. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You see, friends... You know, when we were in Hebrews, we talked about there was an anchor for the soul. We just sang a little bit ago about my anchor holds within the veil. How do I rejoice always? Because I know there is something that I am connected to in the person and work of Jesus Christ that cannot be taken from me. That will ultimately give victory over all of the pain and the heartache of this world. Because one day, when this battle is over, I'm going to be present with him. And that's what I hold to. For those whose names are written in heaven. For those who have responded by faith to this magnificent work that God is doing, we have something that gives us a reason to rejoice every day. My circumstances are going to come and go. They're going to change. I'm going to have some great days. I'm going to have some not so great days. But who I am in Jesus Christ is secure if my faith is in Him. And I have a hope sealed by the Holy Spirit of God that is mine forever. So we do have reason to rejoice because remember friends, this is about redemptive thinking. This is about seeing life from a different place. Not as the world would would have us see it, but we think differently and then we live differently. Didn't Jesus say, my peace I give unto you, not as the world give I unto you? Right? I've got something else for you. So don't let the world define this. Learn to think redemptively. Verse 16, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And that could lead us to the question, does that mean I'm just supposed to be on my knees all the time? Pray without ceasing? Never get up from a position of prayer? And we know, well, that's highly impractical. And I think, and I'm not going to take a lot of time with this. If you were to look at verse 1, 1 3, and verse 2, 13, you see Paul. He talks about this in praying for them, how he never ceases to pray for them. But you know that he's... he's and he, and he references in, in mentioning them in his prayers. It's not that he's started praying for the Thessalonians and has never quit. It is he is continually bringing them before the Lord. 
And he has no intention to stop bringing these Thessalonians who are so dear to them before the Lord as he is spending times in prayer. And for many of us, what the real issue needs will, will be, right, is this. I feel like I've prayed for some things for a long time. And I on, honestly wonder, Lord, do you even hear my prayers? Do they get out of this room? Do you care? Are you there? Are you actively involved in my life? I see other people. They have great things seem to happen, and, and I don't get that. And so we're in danger of just giving up on praying. It's like, yeah, that just doesn't work. And the Scripture says, don't quit, because your God in heaven is faithful. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything. This verse, verse 18, it, it, it's all about the prepositions that are in the original language. It doesn't say for everything give thanks. I've looked it up because I've heard people say that it doesn't say for everything. It says in everything. So I went and looked it up. Is that really what it says? And yes, that's what it says. In everything. So there's regardless of the circumstances, we can have a thankful spirit and for. And here's where it gets real. I, we could spend so much time looking at this. I don't have time to do this, and I, I feel almost a little, uh, I almost a little uh, weird to be going here with this, but I'm going to say it, all right? You got for, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Here's the deal. In the original language, those are two distinctly different words. The first for is the word gar, and it means because of. And it has, if you look at, you look at the lexicon, just a very couple of very distinct and clear meanings. Because of this. All right? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All right, that's easy. The second one gets tricky. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay, that is a different word. It's ice. We would, in English, write it E-I-S. And the, the root concept of the word has the idea of movement, of moving towards something, of moving into something, and there's a spatial concept to the very root thought of it. And the lexicon will tell you 17 different nuances of meaning in this one word. Three-letter word. Like, okay, great. How do you sort all of this out? So the way I sort stuff out like that is I come up with a word that they didn't come up with in 17 tries. I just come up with something new. I can apparently make this word say whatever I want. No, I don't mean that. But I honestly think for, to, for me to understand this verse and see if it helps you, that the idea of unto for that second verse to me is most effective because it carries with it this idea of movement. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus unto you. This is what God is looking to bring to you and to invest in your life and he's looking for this will that will come to you and as you allow it expression, as you allow it to be your experience, you will find it as something very good for you. But it's what he has for you. It's the will of God in Christ Jesus unto you. And the reason that that, that, that 
to me that nuance matters is this. We could become very, uh, uh, very simplistic in our approaches. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay, you need to be giving thanks. 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 All things. Just give thanks. Just give thanks. Just, and we could become almost callous with this verse. And I don't believe it's callous. I believe what the verse is leaning towards is, look, look, God's will for you is good and it's uplifting and it's going to do good things for you. So what it is, it's not a callous thing that, hey, you've got to do this because it's all about the obedience. Obedience, 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 obedience. No. It's about understanding that God is giving you this instruction because this is the life where the righteousness and peace and joy are, are going to be found. And you're going to grow in this and learn this and understand it. So it's his will unto you. As it comes into you and you enter into it, if it sounds vague, read the lexicon. They'll give you 17 other ways to look at the word. And it's fine. You'll remain vague, okay? So I just pondered over that for the longest time and finally went, well... Here's where I'm going with it. But it's something good that God wants to work into our lives. So, redemptive thinking should inform our responses to the world around us and to our experiences and what is happening. Thirdly, redemptive thinking should infuse our reasoning. Now, I know I'm going to set some of you on edge right now, okay? I know that. But... Then I'll take you back to that first thing about not rendering evil, okay? It's like, be patient with me here. If you have something you want to say to me afterwards, let's just talk quietly and calmly with one another. Verses 19 through 22. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The word quench in verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. It references over and over again, if you look at the rest of the New Testament and how it's used, about putting out a fire. It's about putting out fires. So, what does he seem to be saying? The fire of the Holy Spirit that is active and effective and working. It's figurative language. You get that. I get that. But the fire of the Holy Spirit this burning passion that the Holy Spirit is trying to make dynamic changes in people's lives. It's, the Holy Spirit is doing a dynamic work. The Holy Spirit is not just some concept out here and we can identify Him as the third person of the Trinity and we can give Him all of the check marks of deity and say, oh yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. No, that Holy Spirit for whom we saw a couple weeks ago, we are becoming a dwelling place of God, is dynamically involved in our lives and transforming us into Christ-likeness. I like to put it this way. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, uses the Word of God to change the people of God into the image of the Son of God. All right, But it's the Spirit that is doing that. Don't snuff that out. Don't, don't pour water on that. Let the Spirit do the work which the Spirit is seeking to do. Which is why so often you will notice, and, 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 and uh, this is the place where we just need to be honest with one another, okay? I find the, one of the hardest things to do in preaching, and the longer I go, the harder it's getting, is to know, okay, how do you talk about application, how this impacts people's lives? Because God is looking to do something different in each of us here. So how, does, how, how do I do that? 
How do I identify that this is how God is going to use this in your life? I don't know how to do that. But I am, I believe, every time I stand up here, friends, I believe that God wants to take his word and he wants to infuse it into our lives and move us a little further towards Christ-likeness. It's just that for each of us, it's a different thing, right? We have different places where the growth edge is alive and God's trying to speak to that. So there's just one place where it's like, hey, God is trying to get your attention on something. God is speaking his word to you and saying, I could, I could bring you into greater righteousness, peace, and joy and kingdom life. If you will let me transform this, if you will allow me to have this place in your life, it's easy to go, nope, not letting you go there. I don't want you to go there. Don't touch that part of me. All to Jesus, I surrender. Except that part, not that part. And the Spirit of God is just continually looking to change something in us. So that's something for us to consider. Okay, But there, there's something else that we might want to consider, and that is, I, I, and some of you are going to be upset with me, but I'm going to throw this out there, is to make sure that we haven't formed, well, let me give you just a brief, I see life often as a continuum, so let me start with that. There is a, I see that Christian people fall in a continuum of how they live their Christian life. There are some people... At one end, everything, all the time, is about the Spirit doing all these wonderful things, and it's all this. And over here, we got another group who are measuring every word said by, can I equate that to a particular Bible verse? Can I equate that to a particular Bible verse? Now, through history, it's gone this way. And this end, we have what we call the mystics. And they're trying to get in tune with the the dynamic of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is doing something. And so there's this mystical experience that they're looking for. And over at this end, you have the rationalists who say, let's not get too out of control here. Let's make sure we've we've defined everything perfectly. Well, either one in its extreme, I, I, I think, has some problems with it. Because the mystics can be over here making any claim about anything that this is of God and get way, way off base. And they need to be brought in to an understanding that is the word of God informing that? Or is it an experience or a lie of the evil one? That has to be questioned. Over here, we can become so rational in our approach that... We're uncomfortable with anything that might show an expression of the Spirit and a dynamic that the Spirit could bring. So we just, nope, don't want that to happen. So either end, I think, has potential problems. So how do, how do we deal with this? Okay, one, uh, uh, don't quench the Spirit, right? Do not quench the Spirit. The next one is do not despise prophecies. Well, for some of us, this concept of prophecies might be hard to adjust to it. But it says, do not despise prophecies. That's what it says. So, we got we to wrestle with it in some way. And as I would understand the word despise, it means out of nothing. So, don't consider that prophecies come out of nothing. You see how you could get to despising something? You know, it says like, well, you'd view it as, well, that's nothing. That's nothing. There's no, there's no, there's no substance behind it. 
And so, it's, so we just, ah, we can dismiss something. They say, don't do that with the prophecies. Don't do that as the Spirit of God is doing something. So, so how do we take these two ends? Right? What do we do with them? Well, he tells us. Test all things. Test them. Don't have a quick, knee-jerk response. Test them. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Once they've been put to the test, you have some understanding about them. Now, you know what to embrace, you know what to dismiss. So you might say, well, how do I know how to test things? Well, let's let the Scripture speak. At least, I'm trying to not give you all the answers. I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to give you thoughts. Hey, will you think about these things? Rat-a-tat-tat-tat-tat, right? Maybe some of these you'll go, ah, give that further thought. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Same word, test. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So John says, well, here's one way you might want to put some things to the test. What do these spirits speak of? And how do they relate to who Jesus Christ is? And what he has accomplished in the fact that he has come in the flesh. Because, friends, there are... There, let's, let's, let's make sure we're clear. There are all sorts of philosophies and religious perspectives and things that are out there that are not based upon the truth of Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. And we better have some tests to be able to say, I cannot embrace that, thank you. I cannot embrace that. Um, where my daughter and son live in, in Florida, we, uh, in order to get to my favorite beach, got to go right by a huge, huge presence of Scientology. Okay? Huge presence for Scientology. I think it might be their main base right there in uh, Clearwater, Florida. Okay? Yeah, not going down that, that, uh, that line, folks. Okay? They're often something that is not biblical. So we test. And then we, we, we learn, what can I embrace? What do I need to say? Nope, I'm going to abstain from that. And abstain literally means to hold away. Hold that away from me. I am not being drawn into that. So having tested, we either hold fast or we abstain. And here he puts the, uh, he puts the holding fast first and then the abstaining later. But in Romans, he said, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. That's simple. Once it's been tested, once it's been tested, it isn't just, you know, willy-nilly. It's like, hey, you measure it to the Word of God and uh, see what it says about Jesus Christ. So, friends, rat-a-tat-tat, there's a lot of things that he's saying right here, and we barely touch the surface of them. But I'm trusting that God used one of these, one of these, to stir some thinking. You know, huh. I ought to consider that a little bit more. Maybe I need to dig into the scriptures a little further about that one single element. And it will stir your thinking, and it will cause you to grow deeper in your faith, and it will, it will bring you into a greater love for Jesus Christ. And if I could remind you, 
again. What are, we, what are we striving for here? Real simply, what Paul said in Romans, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not rules and regulations. And that's what he was addressing the people in Colossians about. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If we will embrace these things, it is where we will have the experience and the expression of righteousness, peace, and joy in God's kingdom. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, that uh, your word is always seeking to reach us. Your spirit is always calling to us, Father. And as your children, Lord, um, we need to be listening for how you're speaking to us. And as we've mentioned here, Lord, it's individual. There are individuals here among us, Lord. We are each an individual, and our growth in Christ is an individual thing. So, Lord, where the Spirit would speak to us, maybe has challenged us, has raised questions that we have never thought about before, maybe even prodded us on some things that we respond to very quickly and and we're irritated by them. Oh, Father, may we indeed allow, by a quiet and thoughtful response, allow your Spirit to continue to reveal to us the things that individually that we need, Lord. May we become people who just grow deeper in our love for you and uh, just more faithful in how we seek to live out our lives. For I ask it in Jesus' name.